Welcome to the 70th edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded immediately after our previous one on the Monday after Arsenal's goalless home draw with Blackburn. Thank you as ever to our sponsors, Gunashirts.com, the website for all your quality cult Arsenal t-shirt needs. I'm your host, David Udo, and still with us are a specially assembled panel to discuss the current state of the Arsenal nation. So the voices you hear belong to France football's Philippe Auclair, Amy Lawrence from The Observer, and Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Now, with my, my glass very, literally, barely a third full, um, if Arsenal do, as expected, finish the season without a trophy, and assuming the manager does remain... Um, what sort of changes, if any, do you see in the summer to address the team's failure to win silverware? I mean, previously we've, we've spoken about the, the, the uh, 15 years of the same coaching staff. There's been talk amongst the fan base of uh, players like Riziki, Danielson, Arshavin, Amunia have to go. Um, Philippe, where do you think he starts? Good grief. You just named a player that I think shouldn't go in, in, at any cost. I think Andrea Arshavin should stay. I think Andrea Arshavin has been actually one of the, one of the few players this season that has that I've been really very very happy to watch, considering he was in terrible physical condition when he started, he wasn't fit at all. Um, never moaned about being selected when he was selected. Played a huge amount of games, number of games. Uh, has more assists than any other Arsenal player. Has come in with some very important goals, including the most beautiful goal of the season, which is the second goal against Barcelona. Has been, you know constantly criticised by, by Arsenal fans with loads of commas and whatever um, for not doing enough and not doing this and not doing that. Well, the thing is that he's tried to do things and he's tried to make things happen. And even against Blackbird, I mean, it's very obvious that he's not quite right in his mind and also in his body. He hasn't been right since the beginning of the season, even if it's perked up a little bit um, in, uh, late in the winter. But yes, he misplaces passes from three yards. Yes, he does uh, little flicks that maybe are a bit fanciful. But it's because he's trying to speed up the game all the time. And for me, the problem is not Arshavin. It's the problem that some of the players who are around him are not on the same plane, don't think as quickly as he does, uh, don't give as much as he does. He's improved a lot the defensive side of his play, um, which might not be that obvious, but it was non-existent to start with. Um, so there's, there has been progress. So... I would very much like to see players like Andrea Shavin stay. Um, because if he went, I could tell you, to any club in Europe next year, people would look at him and think, why did we let him go? And I think that people are far more guilty than, than Andrea Shavin has been. He's easy to criticise because of who he is and what he looks like. And this little Russian, Russian midget submarine. You know? <laughs> and it's very easy to, get, to have a go at, at Andre. Um, but where do you start? Well, obviously, you need a keeper. We all agreed on that. It, um, even if Chechny obviously will be a keeper and a very fine keeper for Arsenal, if we can keep him, that is. And you need at least a central defender. That's very obvious as well. Um, even if Thomas Mervalen was coming back from this mystery injury, we'd still need a central defender. And I would even say we need to look at the centre-forward situation. Um, there isn't anybody who is there to finish the moves. I'm just trying to think how many goals... A Chicharito would score for Arsenal. Um, I, it would be probably prodigious. But how many times have we said that in the past? There's, it's always been the quest uh, for that cent lethal centre forward. But does Van Gaal agree with such a type of player, a box player? Or it has to be, you know, you couldn't imagine the people in Zaghi, for example, you know, fitting in uh, the Arsenal lineup. Um, Hernandez, maybe you could. But I would say yes. I mean, one player per line, and 
and I've forgotten the defensive midfielder in there. So that's that's a lot. But there's about what 100 million pounds in cash available. Proven, yeah. If you want them proven, well, spend it. But I think one of the questions has to be not just looking at Arsenal, but looking at the scouting. Because yes. Yep. In you know the money that has been spent, or in the areas that have been um, attempted improvements, even looking at last summer. Um, it was clear Arsenal needed to sign two central defenders, and they did. But with all the money that we apparently do or don't have available, with all the scouting that is there, the, 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 the final options were Koscielny, who um, there is a player in there somewhere, definitely he's mm -hmm. shown enough in his first season to, to justify him being brought in, um, but was never going to be ready and the finished article for an entire season. And he's been basically thrown in the deep end from the beginning because of the injury situation has played probably a lot more football than was anticipated and been under a lot more pressure than, than had been anticipated for a first season coming from uh, the level that he was. The other signing of Squilacci, um, OK, he is a French international. Philippe will know more about his past and, and so on for me. But, but it... If, it seems to have followed a, a, a kind of a line or a graph where you have um, Sagan uh, and uh, Silvestre and now Squilacci, where they just don't look remotely able to cope with the demands of the Premier League. And what I find so interesting is that th there are players... You look at... I mean, I was, I, I was watching a game the other day on the television and David Wheater for, mm. was getting enormous praise... I can't even remember how much he cost for Middlesbrough, but yeah, you know, not much. Thing. This is the kind of player Arsenal will never buy under Arsene Wenger. But it's all very well saying, oh, Cahill, you know, he costs this, he costs that, Jagielka was too expensive, whatever it was, or the premium on English players. Well, actually, there are English players. They might not be the best in the world, but are you telling me that someone like David Wheatley would have been worse than Squilacci? I don't know, but he might have been readier to cope with the Premier League, and the Premier League is 38 games of the season. Um, and I think that Sometimes the scouts identify players with Europe in mind, and I don't think necessarily a David Wheater type player. I mean, I'm just picking him out as no, an sure, example, sure. we could use all sorts of examples. You could, you could, you could it, talk about you Scott Dunn and, 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 and Johnson. And exactly. City, Very effective, Premier solid players. Um, and yes, they probably would be found out terribly in the Champions League, but, but it's this big squad, and we need players who can come in and do jobs. and. I think that the, the, the kind of players that are being identified are, there's not the mix. There's not having the capacity to throw someone in who's got that bit of steel and character and whatever. People talk about English. It's not about being English. I'm the last person in the world who would come on anything and say, Arsenal have got to buy English players because I'm very much of the opinion that I, I embrace the multiculturalism that Arsenal have had over the last few years and I think it's something to be proud of. And I always maintain when people come out with the nonsense about buying English, well, you know, do you want Thierry Henry or Bergkamp or Perez or Vieira? They gave as much for Arsenal as any English player ever, so end of conversation as far as I'm concerned. But it's about characteristics. And those players I just mentioned all had tremendous desire, professionalism, uh, energy, hunger, all those characteristics. It doesn't matter where they come from. It's about having the right personality. And I think one of the things that this team sometimes lacks is personality. As individuals, you want to see a player on the pitch who wants the ball, who wants it, like what Philippe was saying about Arshavin, wants to try things, isn't afraid. I think there are too many players at the moment who there is a mental frailty and it is a, 
a trait that's been in Wenger's teams really all the way through yeah. uh, in many ways, where sometimes when things aren't going well, it, everybody almost freezes and panics and just, whether it's to do with personality or lack of plan B or, whatever, or preparation or anything. But definitely at the moment there is a situation where it's almost become a culture in the players and in the team. It doesn't matter who the personnel are. A little bit I would compare it to sometimes when England players over the years, players who have looked fantastic in the Champions League for Chelsea and Liverpool and you know, the, would put on an England shirt and seem to have all their power drained away and just not look like the same players. And mm. there's something in the makeup of the current Arsenal team where when the prizes are in sight, when all the beautiful footballers has got them into a position, they just cannot see it through. Um, one of the points you made there is that um, so to, to paraphrase, is that this team seems to lack, lack any kind of mental strength. Yeah, um, for anyone who plays Arsene Wenger, press conference, bingo. Um, that's generally the first corner that comes up every week. Um, Tim, um, <laughs> <laughs> where, where do we start? Belief. I believe in this team's belief, I think, is the phrase that you will hear time and time again. But it's not there, is it? It's just not there. It's almost like by constantly repeating it, you're going to make it happen. You can, you, that, to me, he knows it's not there, which is why it's repeated so much. That's one of the sort of standard ways of behaving to a failure. But I, I'd like to sort of bring it back a little bit and put alongside Amy's commentary on the scouting for purchasing of players... And it all kind of heads back to the fact that Wenger has to be in charge of everything, including the player's contract, including negotiating the fee. And is probably the only manager in world football that believes in the value of a player and has a concept of the value. Redknapp Ferguson will present a list of names to their boards of who they want. And then it's the job of the person at the club to decide whether or not they can be afforded. Same goes for all Champions League major teams in Italy and Spain. And this is not just, you know... It's what? a very strange Why situation. is Arsene Wenger deciding that Gary Cahill at £15 million is too much? He should be telling Ivan Gazidis what Cahill can do for his team, and Ivan tells him whether or not the club can afford it, and makes the decision on whether he's purchased. But we know that Arsene is all over the transfers, wants to negotiate the type of contract the player has, how much they're paid, instruct the scout on who he's looking for. And it's all back to this lack of challenge or still being the 96 structure, I feel, which then leads through to the type of players that Amy was just describing. And it's unmanageable. It's unmanageable in terms of time. There's no way he can spend so much time doing it. Of course. But I'm almost not interested anymore in discussing the the particular player we should bring in in the summer, as opposed to the infrastructure and process by which we bring them in. Because that's got to be addressed, and then the right player will flow, or should flow. But is it not interesting that all this um, has changed, really? Almost you can put it down to the exact zeitgeist moment when David Dean left. Because, Philippe, you will remember, oh, you goodness. and I were four, in the car park... Four years park, ago this month. Were in the car park, yeah. talking to Arsene after the press conference, just after David Dean had gone. Mm. And that issue that he was talking about um, above all the, above the fact that he'd lost his friend and his sidekick and his very trusted right hand man was that you know he'd lost the man who could go and do all the dirty work with schmoozing whoever needed to be schmoozed and wooing whoever needed to be wooed and mm. making sure that that deals happen and he knew he could trust David Dean 110 percent to take care of whatever needed to be taken care of to ensure 
sort of mm. the best possible chance of a transfer happening. It's a point that, that often goes unnoticed. Is that in, I mean, I, 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 as someone who used to work for the FTSE PLC, a big part of my life is um, uh, corporate governance and corporate structure. And one of the things that got me in light of the Keith Edelman debacle and, uh, and, and him leaving the club, uh, Danny Fitzman came out and said, uh, we will be recruiting uh, chief commercial officer, chief executive officer, chief marketing officer, and a director of football. Now, we filled all of those positions, save for one being the director of football. There were rumours it was going to be Glenn Roder. Um, Nicky Hammond from Reading was another name that was mentioned. Um, but it was filled, in Arsene's mind, with Dick Law, who was moved from consultant to the club to the current club fixer. Now, This is a name that I would say 95% of Arsenal fans are completely unaware of. Can but he doesn't play the role that a director of football would at the big European club or, or that David Dean was playing to Arsene Wenger. And in some ways, I do think that might be part of the problem. An Arsene Wenger pick, an Arsene Wenger reporting line and no challenge to the structure. And he had been there. But that, that in Arsene Wenger's mind, that position was filled. He works on contracts and finding players with Dick Law. But it's probably not the type of challenge or type of internal structure that we think is needed now. It's certainly not... Well, Dick Law was there working with David Dean. You take David Dean out, Dick Law doesn't suddenly become Dick Law plus David Dean. And I think that gap is perhaps not seen so much, but is a huge part of what I describe as this mm. 96 football structure still going forward. I was uh, talking to um, one of the scouts <coughs> who are employed who I would say uh, is in the second tier of scouts uh, employed by Arsenal recently, and it was fairly obvious that every single of his reports had to go directly to, to Wenger. You would have thought that he would go to Steve Rowley or to one of the people who are just an, underneath this pyramid, you know, this pyramid of power, which is basically the scouting, which is huge. But it all has to filter up to Arsene himself, who will then watch the videos of the, of, of the player in question or or we'll go to a game. And this is absolutely insane. It is. You I mean, cannot do it. I heard him say last year, I think it may have been at the AGM, or the shareholders' question, about one thing he could tell the fans was he never worked harder. Mm. Maybe that's part of the problem. You know, Alex Ferguson isn't there every day. Harry Redknapp's not there every day. They're setting strategy, vision, getting the players in the right position. It's sort of like... You know, you hear about mental belief all the time. Takes training every day. Mm. Worries about the food they're going to eat. Reads all the scouting reports. And it's kind of like you can almost see, can't you, digging harder and harder and harder because it's not working. But it's not doing more of the same. It's doing some things differently. That's what we need now. I mean, in light of the fact Wenger is essentially chosen as lieutenant, and such is my understanding based on what I read in the papers, either chose or was very heavily involved in the selection of Ivan Gazidis as, let's face it, his line manager, um, a position I'd love to be in. Um, <laughs> I mean, at, at boardroom level, do you think there is any... I mean, it's, the question I've got right in front of me is, do you think there is a great deal of direction regarding what happens on the football side? I'll ask, is there any kind of direction regarding what happens on the football side, or is it completely left to Wenger to make those decisions? I think, I think it is completely left to Wenger, although largely it should be. You know, you, you do not want the board turning up each side, making substitutions, buying sure, a player. For, you know, the other extreme is to buy the player, buy the manager a player. Berlusconi he buys Ronaldinho Milan and says he must play when yeah. he's Roman two stones away from, yeah. Although conspiracy theorists would say that's the Andre Archibald situation. 
Uh, he was essentially bought, by, well, told by the manager, being told by the board, we need a. No, but if that was going to happen, I think it would have happened more, and it clearly yeah. hasn't. And also, Arsenal rules everything at that club. You can see from every other decision over the last few years. But what you do need in all board is holding your key employee to account, and supporting them at times, and taking away from them the issue of can we afford that player. And who knows, we're not sitting around that table. We can't know exactly what's going on. But I do think it's instructive. But it is, I think, April the 18th is four years to the day that David Dean left Arsenal. I know. It's clear that something radical needs to change this summer, and probably will. I mean, having said that, looking at the last few years of Arsenal, nothing radical (laughs) changes any summer. But, but, you know, it seems to me that there are three or four key areas where it could change. It could change at board level. And, of course, I don't think the whole situation is helped by the stasis that there is at board mm. level with Cronky's shares uh, on one situation, Usmanov's, Lady Nina sitting there, uh, and the situation with Danny Frisman. So that, I don't think, helps anything that's going on at the club. Then, obviously, there's Arsenal's position, which you know I, I would like to think is not going to change, but the other things around it will change sufficiently that the whole place is revived and refreshed. Then there's the playing staff, and then there's the coaching staff. And it's just a question of how much get, you know, can possibly be changed in one summer out of those three or four areas. I'm um, thinking about, sorry, I'm just, this is actually bouncing on, on what Amy's just said, and also what you said earlier about the defensive coaching, 50%. And why is it, for example, that Martin Kieran, who did such a magnificent work of organising a back four of Mathieu Flamini, <laughs> Emmanuel Ebwe, Philippe Sandros and Colo Toure, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and did he? Because he Wenger now plays down the role that he has and suggests that he was overlooking well, after a few youth players. Ma- do you, think Martin the, you two were there, you two would have seen Ma- it. Martin Kieran is not the person who will tell you, um, try to make himself bigger than he is, the very opposite. And it was very obvious that, I mean, I remember, maybe you, you, you probably talked to him as well at the time, I remember very well, um, he wasn't Ma- brought in to be a defensive no. coach. He was doing his coaching badges and came in to have some experience, which quite a lot of players do. And I think while he was there, like just Jens coincided Lever. with exactly <laughs> with probably being a bit more involved than one would normally expect of somebody who comes in just to do their coaching badges and get their bits. Um, I don't think he was the defensive coach per se, but I think he ended up. Sure. He was really involved, particularly, and in not not necessarily in training routines, mm. but in particular when it came to talk to the to the defenders mm. and to instill in them this, the Arsenal way of defending. So why did not this not translate <coughs> to a full time position? Did he too? Did he do too good a job and undermine the manager I, potentially? <coughs> I don't think it was a question of undermining, but I mean maybe Martin Kieran had any had other plans anyway. Personally, um, the other thing is, I, yes, it might have been a little bit unusual in the club that somebody could take an importance like that. That's my own reading of it. I was, even Steve I was Bold, yeah, who also probably. has a lot of credentials from that point of view, has been employed by the club for almost as long as Arsene Wenger, mm. certainly a very long number of years, and been successful, tremendously successful, and very much has the mentality and experience of but, what to do with him. There's never, never, been, there's never been a suggestion <laughs> that he might even come in and take the odd training session or give them a pep talk. And we've got a, a, a resource right there. I mean, I've got a, a quote in front of me. A charity auction night at the Emirates Stadium, I'm guessing 18 months ago, Armand Traore apparently told a guest and a Guna friend on his table that what frustrates him the most about playing for Arsenal was that after a game, nobody comes up to you and tells you what you did right or wrong. Hmm. 
In which case, what are the coaching staff being paid for? Well, I think part of Arsenal's philosophy always, and you speak to the experienced players and the older players, and, and for the likes of the Lee Dixons and all that generation who've been there with George and then saw the, the new Wenger way, um, they were astonished by the fact that Arsenal's philosophy, he really believes that if you educate a player correctly, they should be able to, they should be intelligent enough to make their own decisions on the pitch, to analyse their own um, <coughs> games afterwards. And he, it's a very strange thing, but he really believes that you just put all the groundwork there and that the players should be free to express themselves and work it all out for themselves. He doesn't believe in minutiae of instruction. He might believe in the minutiae of preparation, although you can ask yourself, is that working when you look at the injury um, cat catastrophes over the last few seasons? But that's a slightly different issue. Mm. Like he really doesn't believe in big analyses of um, telling, telling players. At half-time of most matches, nobody really says anything. They come into the, He's a believer that you come in, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of energy. You come at half-time, you sit there and you're quiet for two minutes and nobody says a word. Now, when, mm. when it works, it works. And it obviously did for a very long time. And there was quite a lot of you know, this great serenity in the team. But we were dealing with experienced players, remember. Most of them were And, you know, a lot of them have been... Has, yes. Yeah, we, you know, they were, they were special players and special guys. And they were able to figure it out for themselves. And they didn't really need that kind of guidance. But when you've got a young team which is, that's trying to be nurtured, they probably need a little bit more than sitting there quietly to comp contemplate how they've done. But, I mean, this is a, a manager who, again, such as my understanding, discourages players from shouting at each other, talking in the pitch, um, to um, presumably uh, disguise where they are, essentially, and the idea being they should have an almost telepathic knowledge of where their colleagues should be. I wouldn't go that far. That's not quite true. Um, one of the reasons, for example, Skidachi was brought in, which might surprise people today, is the fact that he's very much of a talker on the pitch, or used to be a talker on the pitch, until he completely lost confidence, which is all too seeable then. But no, uh, you can't have uh, managed a team which had a Tony Adams and a Patrick Vieira in it and, and, and not encourage players to talk to each other. The one thing maybe that you can question is this idea of collective responsibility that Wenger has, which probably is the only manager in the history of the world to ever have had, is that we do not need a boss. Um, and the fact is, no, you need not just, and it's true, it's true you need more than one, but the Premier, you need one in the end, and we haven't had one since when? Since I when? think Fabregas is a good captain. I mean, <coughs> he might not be a, a, a you know, is he someone who, is he someone who actually talks a lot to players? He's not. He's somebody who is very intense on the pitch. Is somebody, does he give instructions? Maybe, rarely. Um, I think the, the best Arsenal player I've seen at giving instructions in the past however many years is Chesney, which considering <laughs> he's 19 is an extraordinary thing, yeah. and he's in his first 10 or 20 games. Well, precisely, <laughs> and, and one of the reasons why he's a future Arsenal player. That, that there is a real future, future captain. <laughs> and possibly a future captain. But you do feel that this idea that Again, you leave it to the players. Basically, you present them with a, a beautiful canvas and you let them paint. And, and that's about it. And then afterwards, once they've painted, you don't tell them, well, that's a great picture, that's a bad picture. Um, you just move to another one. Um, that, that, is, that is very, very frustrating. Again, it's the question of transition between different phases. I mean, Arsenal has had how many teams now? There was the team he inherited, and which he changed a little bit 
to have the first double. Then you had to completely reinvent it for, for the next double. Then you had to invent, reinvent it again for 2003, 2004. But there was a continuous theme throughout that, which was that the George Graham defense, there was always a link to that past. Then that link was broken very, very spectacularly, actually. And the only players who remained were people like Thierry Henry. And Thierry Henry is not a captain. Thierry Henry hasn't got the authority, the on-field authority, or off-field authority to do this sort of thing. It's not in character at all. And we had Thierry Henry for a captain for quite a long time. And I think we lost something you know, in that 2004-2005 season, which Arsene has tried very hard to rebuild, but which I'm afraid has gone to nothing. Um, that seems as Long good, silence, a, good which, a juncture uh, as any, actually. I mean, sadly, that's going to have to be all we've, all we've got time for. Um, we will try and pick it up in podcast 71. I apologise. Um, the email address for any communications about the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again uh, to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. Uh, and there's just time for editor Kevin Witcher to tell us about the current edition of The Guna. Kevin. Yes, it came out uh, at the weekend against Blackburn. Obviously, day we'd rather forget. But, however, there is always another game, and it is still on sale for the Liverpool game in uh, a couple of weeks' time. And uh, because we're running out of home matches, uh, that will be the last chance to buy it as the current issue. And uh, it's an usual classic. Please purchase <laughs> with your £2. Thank you, Kevin. We'll be back with one more offering from this particular recording session very soon. But for now, my thanks to the panel. And this is your host, David Udo, saying farewell to you all. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee. All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!